MNK Takwaye now presents Caraval Part 2 from the Caraval Trilogy by Stephanie Garber. back to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week, we finished up the first book in the Caraval Trilogy um, by Stephanie Garber. It's called Caraval. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I forgot for a second that we, it's a trilogy because only two of the yeah. books are out. By the time this is posted, I think they'll all three be out, but um, we're cutting it close. <laughs> I think the last one comes out May 6th, and what is it, April 22nd right now? So, uh, yeah, we, we definitely cut it close for the <laughs> book release, and I'm a little bit irritated that I have to buy it instead of getting it at the library. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think we were, all, like, wasn't there some other, we were planning to do a different series in between, and then we realized there's another book coming out or something, so we moved yeah. this one up a little bit. I forget which series it was. But. We were going to do um, An Ember in the Ashes, and then oh, yeah. they moved the book release date, which I'm, like, so bummed because I haven't read the series yet, and I have the books, I, I actually have hard copies of these books, and I've had them for a long time, and it's been, like, torture not to read them. My sister's been talking about that series for a long time. I definitely have at least the first one, so, yeah, that'll be fun to read when we get to read it. But in the meantime... <laughs> but back to this series. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Stephanie Garber. <laughs> um, Caraval. So we have finished the game. The game is sort of over, or is it? Well, we, f- we finished this season of the game, or this round of the game? Yes. Or how do you... Well, we, what are they called? We finished the game, but it's, it seems like there's more to come. Everything is not resolved. Right. Yes. Fair um, Okay, so do you want to talk about what we learned in this half of the book? Because it was a lot. Uh, yeah, but where do you even start? Start from the beginning. Okay, so we ended the half... Uh, we had just lost a day, right? Yes. She wakes up from being dead. I forget. Had she had her dream yet or not yet? Yeah, she had her dream. She wakes up from being dead next to Julian and she's got this new gray streak in her hair. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that part. Mm-hmm. So she's lost a day. She's not sure if Julian is legend or what her dream is really about or if she's a special guest because of her grandmother or something else that's going on. She's got like part of the story and a lot of suspicions. Her dad is out in the hallway. Yep, he just shows up, which is creepy because yeah. she told someone earlier that her greatest fear was her father, and then he shows up on the island. Ooh. I mean, I was expecting something like that to happen because they kept asking for all these secrets, and she kept revealing this information yeah. so freely. I, But I thought, I did think it might have, before he actually showed up, I thought it might have been some kind of like actor thing with the dad, but it was like legit her father. And he also brings someone else with him. Yes. So we're in our attempts to get the final clue, we go to the hat maker store and run into the, the guy that we saw when we were only seeing one color. And who is he in reality? Her fiance, D. Yeah. What's his face? Diarce? Yes. Counts mm-hmm. Nicholas Diarce. She gets this dress that she exchanged the day of her life for, and it's signed from D. So she thinks it's from Donatella, but really it's from her fiance and it's a wedding dress. Ooh. Yep. Okay. Except I still have a lot of questions about him. Me too. Okay. You go first. Okay. (laughs) So first of all, I thought it was kind of funny when Julian was like, this is my fiance. And he was like, no, actually it's my fiance. Right. Like that's your introduction. (laughs) Oh my goodness. But okay. So he showed up and he wants to marry her still. Mm Kind of get that. He's like, knows who her father is and is okay with the game of it all or whatever okay I kind of buy that because we don't know that much about him so sure why not but he basically didn't want to go as far as the dad ends up a killing someone and b attacking Julian and just in general taking things too far as he has done in the past mm-hmm. um and the count kind of seems like oh no I'm not on board with that like I just didn't really get right like he sort of I was like who what is your motivation where did you come from what is your connection to the dad he sort of gave up kind of easily for someone who seemed i don't know 
I feel like he was kind of brought along, but like wasn't fully on board with everything. Like I, I truly believe that he wanted to marry Scarlet. I don't know exactly what if he had good intentions because we get that whole scene where they're like chasing her and Julian through the tunnels. And mm-hmm. was that when her father slashed Julian's face? Yeah, when yeah. They caught up with them. Mm-hmm. But then afterwards. Um, the count is like, hey, down in those tunnels, that wasn't me. Like, he, he almost was, like, a little bit confused by what happened because he was like, that that wasn't me. And we know that the tunnels kind of heighten your fear and make you act a little weird. And then mm-hmm. he said that he truly wanted to make Scarlet happy. So at first I was like, okay, well, maybe, like, he, he just is in over his head and he really just came there for his fiance. And maybe he is a decent man. And he knows some part of the story. So he thinks that Legend is trying to break up ruin their, their relationship. So, yeah, yeah I agree. Mm-hmm. But then we get that horrible scene where her Scarlet's father takes Julian. And he's like, basically, like, when you misbehave, someone else gets hurt. So yep. I have Julian now to use against you. And then he sends Scarlet into this her, the bedroom with the Count. And he's like, let's let him enjoy what he came for and the count was like gonna go along with it yeah and it's not like when they got to their room he was like just so you know i was just trying to get you away from your dad or anything let's take things slow yeah and he still they had never met in person before they were gonna like i'm not sure how much like i yeah i agree he's not a good guy no i don't know how bad he is but he's definitely not a good guy He would have won me over if when they got to his bedroom, he was like, I am sorry about this. Like, we do not have to do anything. I just want to get to know you. Let's go on a few dates. But instead, he's just like starts taking off his clothes. So like, I don't like him. Or even if he had been like, let's wait till the wedding. Yeah. Yeah, but I agree. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I definitely don't like him. Yeah, it could have been a cool thing where like, maybe there's a little love triangle between the Count and Julian. I don't know, like... It would be interesting if she actually did start to catch feelings for her fiancé, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, not at this point. And I don't think he deserves it. At first, I kind of, not like, well, he wrote all these nice letters, right. and then he did show up and said he wanted to make her happy, and you you did kind of are like, dude, you were engaged when you kissed Julian. You know, I mean, like, mm-hmm. she didn't know him and stuff, so I wasn't really mad at her, but also it's... It's not like this guy came out of nowhere. Like, she was totally intent and on board with the engagement in the marriage plan before Julian came into the picture, so. But then she was like, do you really want a bride who's only going to sleep with you because another man will be tortured if she doesn't? Like, I know. Of course not. Like, it's just, it's hideous. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> yeah. And no one should even have to ask that question. But then also, if they have to ask right. that yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So. So she ends up. Um, using her little potion thing against the Count. Yeah, she, like, threatens him with a poker from the fireplace. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And her and Julian get away again. Yes. And she runs into legend. (laughs) Well, kind of legend. Okay, quote-unquote legend. The guy who's legend, he he introduces himself as legend, right? Or he, she believes him to be legend. He introduces himself as legend, I think. And right before this, Julian's being as cryptic as always about stuff, so she's not really sure what's going on. So then they run into Legend, and Legend is basically like, Julian's one of the players, this is all jokes on you. He's working for Legend. Yeah, if you want to save your sister, blah, blah, blah. And she's confused, but doesn't really believe it, and ends up getting Julian killed by Legend. Oh my gosh, that's right. Oh my gosh, okay, yes. I totally forgot about that for a minute. Oh, yeah, he died. <laughs> so, yes, Legend stabs him in the chest. <laughs> like, in part just because she was like, I think he really like Like, if she had just been like, oh, that sucks, my heart's broken, he wouldn't have been stabbed. Like, I kind of felt like, not like it was her fault, like she did something actually wrong, but like, her actions led to his death. <laughs> but it was also kind of Julian's fault, because I feel like he genuinely does care for Scarlet, and he kind of let that be evident. Yeah, he was trying to give her information that he wasn't supposed to. And he's clearly, like, he's, so we learned that the players are all under a spell now that prevents them from telling the truth. And I think he was, he was, like, struggling to get through that. And that's when Legend just was like, now you die. Yep. But before that, we should talk about what he says before that. Because 
Remember there's that scene where um, Scarlet arrives in the tunnels and she sees Julian standing over the body of Dante? Oh, yeah. I forgot And she, like, freaks out for a minute and he's like, wait a minute, I was working with Dante. And then he says that um, Julian's fiance, Rosa, the woman who killed herself Dante's fiance mm-hmm. is his sister and she show he shows scarlet the tattoo he has so he also has a rose tattoo and he says that they were working together mm-hmm. yeah we're working together rose is my sister i'm here to avenge her yep do we still think that's true no i don't think that's true anymore okay because i i wasn't sure I think that he does feel guilty for Rosa's death now that we know he's a player and he was there and, Mm -hmm. you know, that wasn't ever the intent of the game really for someone to actually die. Um, Right. I think... That was just a lie? That that's that's all it is. Yeah, I think that was part of the game. I think that was part of his role, this story about Rosa. Okay. But we do believe that she's actually Dante's fiance though, right? Like, I don't know what's true and what's not. I think Dante's also a player and that that... They weren't necessarily really engaged. So who's Rosa then? <laughs> I think she's someone. I think she is someone who got carried away in the game okay. and fell in love with Legend and jumped to her death when he didn't reciprocate her true feelings. Okay. And now Scarlet is very concerned because she's afraid that her sister is going to do the same. She's afraid that she's going to fall in love. Well, also Legend's like teasing her and invites her to a funeral. Right, her sister's right. funeral if she doesn't get there in time. So now she thinks Tella's going to die if she doesn't save her. And she's also afraid of her doing something similar to what Rosa did. And she also th- wants the wish because she thinks she can Bring back Julian. have her cake and eat it too, which we've already learned in this book is not the way it works. Um, yeah, she wants to use her wish to bring back Julian and save her sister before her sister dies. Okay. That was really good of setting the stage, I think, for this last bit. <sighs> okay. For, for five more grand reveals. <laughs> so she goes after her sister and... And finds her. Finds her. Yes. And her sister does not buy into her suspicions. Right. She's like... It's a game. It's a party. You got carried away. Yeah. Um, and then she says that she met this lovely young man named Daniel. Oh, yeah. And she basically is like, I love him. He's a lord who wants to marry me. Um, and then he arrives and it's Legends. Well, it's... Yeah. And it's the guy that she recently met as Legend who just right. killed Julian. Right. And she is trying to tell Tella this. And basically he's manipulating the situation to make her look even more crazy. Yes. Yes, because he makes her walk to, like, he makes Scarlet walk to the edge of the balcony to see, like, how far she'll go to save her sister. And then when Tella arrives, he's like, look, she's suicidal. She's crazy. Let's tie her up and save her from herself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he <sighs> ties her up and then reveals himself to Tella as legend when her dad and the Count walk back in. Right? right All this right. happens, like, kind of in, like, a moment. Yes. And So Scarlet's tied up. Legend, Daniel is legend officially. The dad and the fiance are there. They admit that they killed Dante. Julian's dead. And And Tella's (laughs) distraught because this boy lied to her and she's very upset about that. And she's still trying to get free from her father and protect her sister, we think, at this moment, too, a little bit. Like, she doesn't want to be used, have her sister used against her, all this stuff. So she... Follows Rosa's example. And jumps off the balcony. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy! This book! So then this is how... So then basically Scarlet's like, get away from me, Dad. So the dad leaves thinking that Donatella's dead and he has nothing to bargain with Scarlet about. How does the Count leave again? I think I'm forgetting. I think he just walks away. Yeah, I know. I was trying to remember. If you don't leave, I'll tell everyone that you murdered Philippe. And basically she's like, you can't control me anymore because the only thing I care about... Well, the only two things I cared about, Tella and... Julian. Uh, Julian, our dad. And so they leave. I get how that works on her father, but I'm kind of like the Count. Why have you been here this whole time? And then that gets you to leave? Exactly. What are you doing? Okay, but okay. So then... So now she's upset because she's like, okay, if I win and I get this wish, I need to choose between Julian and Tella. Yeah. But she also says, she's like, I want both. And I... 
she basically says like I'm gonna wait a moment, but I always knew I'd pick my sister. So yeah, that's true. It, it's it's not like it's a easy choice, but it's still a clear choice for her. Yes, that's a good way to put it. But then <laughs> there is no wish. <laughs> but then there's more. <laughs> there is no wish from Legend. He says she doesn't get a wish. So she goes down and she tries to use like the wish and the magic to wish her sister back, and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And so this random other player (laughs) then she finds a letter right yeah so she finds a letter that her sister wrote to legend arranging this whole game as an elaborate plan to get them away from her father so we learn that she basically made a deal with legend to say like let's set this up i'm gonna fake my own death not fake it she still really died oh that's true that's but i'm going to go to my death knowing slash hoping, planning, thinking that there's no way this wouldn't happen, that my sister will use her wish to save me. Yes. Yeah, so she had a backup plan, but it was still kind of risky. It was. And so basically she comes, Tella comes back because we learned that everyone who dies in the game, every player who dies in the game doesn't stay dead. They all come back at the end of the game when the game's over. So Julian comes back too, and Dante, but... And Tella because she was a player. Is that why? I thought she still came back because of the wish, but this is where I was confused because I thought it still needed her sister to like choose her and all of that stuff. This is, I was getting confused, so that might make sense. Well, I think she said, I think she said Legend gave her a little bit of magic to come back because her sister wanted it more than anything. So because I thought when Scarlet was like, so you would have come back no matter what. Yeah, it was like. She would have come back even if there was a wish or if there wasn't, I think. I thought, she, okay. Oh, or maybe, maybe there was a wish and that, and Legend was like, are you certain? I don't, I don't know. It all depends if we think that she was a player or not. Yeah. And I think that's where I was confused. So I'm not disagreeing with your interpretation. I just was confused by some of it because part of me was like, if it was a wish, why didn't we see her like come back from the dead when she was wishing on it or whatever? Right. Unclear. But yeah. Okay. So then. <laughs> so tell us back. <laughs> So tell us back, she completely manipulated her sister, but her sister's glad she's not dead. Her sister finds out Julian's not dead, but she also knows that he lied to her. And they're free of their father. That's Their huge, father's yeah. gone, and they're invited to this big party. Yes, and... We get two more reveals. <laughs> we learn that le- the legend guy is not legend. His name's Casper. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. he's just a player, too. And he said that Legend would never introduce himself as Legend. He's always pretending to be someone else. So we still have not met Legend. Or if we have, we don't know. Yeah. (laughs) And I was totally wrong. Julian is not Legend. Oh, and then we learn. Who do we learn who Legend is? For real. Julian is actually his brother. And he was trying to leave the game. This is going to be his last time in the game. Right. But Because he thinks that his brother Legend is redeemable. Mm -hmm. And his brother was like, stay for one more game. I can prove to you that I'm redeemable. And I think it was because he made this deal with And that was part of Donatella's pitch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Redeem yourself. Like, we we know you kind of feel bad that this woman died. Um, So we learned that it isn't really... Because we thought that it was because Legend fell in love with Scarlet's grandmother, and Annalisa, and then she left him. And we thought that that's why... legend like swore that he would destroy all of the granddaughters of Annalisa and that's not really the whole part I think that's part of the reason why he became a villain but I don't think he necessarily wants to like destroy all of her Mm -hmm. descendants um he does want to redeem himself a little bit though yep agreed (sighs) and Donatella isn't done with her deal with legend it looks like or she made a deal with someone else also because right at the end a stranger leaves a note with her basically what is it? Yeah, say? it says um, that she's going to see her mother soon. Oh, yeah, because her mother, we still don't know what happened to her when she disappeared. And right. it also says, I plan on collecting my payment very soon. Right, so she has to keep up her end of the bargain. So we don't know what she exchanged. Yet. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was like, oh, that was a whirlwind. It was a lot. I know. It was exciting. It was fun. It still had that kind of like magical quality, but... It wasn't so fanciful that I was like, what is going on? And I loved the relationships, not just romantically, but I love Donatella and Scarlet. And it's interesting now because Scarlet kind of forgives Julian in part because she understands sibling love and how Mm -hmm. 
if that was influencing some of his actions, she gets it because she has such a strong relationship with her sister. And I'm curious to see what happens next. Yeah, and even though she doesn't fully know Julian, she's like, you're kind of still a stranger to me. And we get that, like, hesitancy from her when they meet up at the end because, like, he lied to her a lot and she's not really quite sure who he is. But um, there's definitely the hint there that she's going to give him a chance and still cares for him. Okay. Also, Mm. to be fair, they had spent five days together, one of which they were dead before this. So how well did they really know each other anyways? Very true. But I, I'm glad that she didn't just, like, forgive him and say everything's great and we're madly in love and this is – because that yeah. wouldn't be believed. Like, I think – I like that she's giving him another chance, but I I think her suspicions are A – or uh, hesitancy is A, true to her character and B, true to the situation. <laughs> and to that point, I also feel that it's realistic – for her to have strong feelings about someone who she has only known in a short amount of time. Because if you remember previously, like her whole plan was she was going to go off and marry this man she'd never met. And Mm -hmm. she was okay with that. She was like, you know, I'm going to go save myself from my father. This is the only way to do it. She never expected to really fall in love. Um, And and then when she went to Caraval, she met Julian. It really opened her eyes and changed things where she was like, oh my gosh, like I could actually have more than I ever dreamed of. And so I think Mm -hmm. that kind of contributed to how strongly she felt about Julian so fast. But then you also go back to, you've known him for four days, how in love are you really, you know, kind of that, some of that stuff a little bit. But they also went through a ton of pretty real stuff together. And even like, yes, he lied to her, but he did, her dad cut his face and he, will carry that scar like so he came back from life but he still has the scar across his face like he still has shown enough indicators that it wasn't all a lie it's just a matter of sorting out what was a lie and what wasn't a lie and because his role was supposed to be small like his role really was only to bring her to the island and he was supposed to go away yeah he was supposed to leave at the clock shop right Right, and and mm-hmm. he didn't. He stayed with her, and Telug is a little upset because she's like, yeah, it's actually kind of my fault that he got stabbed because she had, <laughs> remember, she had Legend take him out of the game because she was worried that Scarlet was falling in love with him. Yep. Oh, man. What was your favorite scene? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. There were a lot of cool scenes that I'd want to see. I mean, it would have to be something, I don't know. I almost feel like still just like walking through the town or whatever. It's at one of the points either where she's trying Mm -hmm. to find something or, or like, or whatever, but seeing like the different costumes and the magic and like the stuff on the, like more than any particular action in the story itself, but just kind of seeing the world there, I think would be really what I'd want to see most on film. I agree. I also, but I also really liked the, um, the carousel. That, like, spins yeah, faster and cool. faster, and then it doesn't, like, burst into flames, and... And, like, holes open up, yeah. and even when... Yeah, yeah, all kinds of stuff. It was cool. It definitely had a... It would be, um... Who's that guy again? Like, the Moulin Rouge vibe? Oh, oh, um... Oh, Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, it's definitely... Like, it'd be cool to see it in film, and, like, with that vibe still carried through, because that's kind of how she imagined it and whatever. And I'd, I'd love to see how they do, um, with her feelings expressed as colors and stuff yeah like capturing that visually would be really cool i think i just want to see the whole world brought to life the costumes the sets the colors where like you can only see black and white and then certain things are in color and well it's interesting because there's actually a lot of violence in this so kind of that dichotomy or whatever the contradiction of like this magical beautiful like fun game and then on the other side this like kind of really dark pretty vibe like some of these scenes I feel like would be too bloody for me yeah it's almost like a little bit like um Alice in Wonderland but Mm -hmm. mixed with like Pan's Labyrinth (laughs) (laughs) yep that's a great I don't know (laughs) that's what comes to mind but I'm really enjoying reading it I have to say and I cannot wait to read the next one because I have zero idea what's gonna happen next I know. I am curious. Do you think we're going to see a lot of the same characters or a lot of new characters? I think we're going to see the main players, but I think we're going to get a whole host of new characters. Do you think that Scarlet sticks around for Carval again? Do you think there's going to be another game? I guess. I just assume so. I don't know why. Oh. Well, if there is, I think she'll only play if 
the prize is something that she like cannot live without or or that she needs somehow which will be interesting if it has something to do with her mother so wait i want to look at yeah. that one more time oh i bet um, it is you just really want to meet legend yeah, I guess the way the letter is worded, it doesn't have to be another game. I just read it sort of like it was for the next game. I bet it is. And I feel like Tella was trying to talk, Tella was talking to her sister about, um, oh, like next time or something. And she was like, what do you mean next time? And she was like, wait till after the party. I'm sure, you, you know, don't rule it out yet kind of thing. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Whew. And if we actually meet Legend and what happened to their mom and how it's related and what goes on with her and Julian and if the count comes back and all the new people we have lots to look forward to definitely i hope if it is a new game i hope it's kind of like some of these other books where you know like i hope it's like a whole new world and a whole new premise and a whole new like still has the same magic and some of the same characters and some of that stuff but i i want it to be like really different at the same time kind of like the hunger games a different uh, arena yep (laughs) exactly in new tributes what did you research this week so I looked up a bunch of weird stuff, but I okay. the most interesting thing that I ended up with, I actually I found this article about eight artists who took their work to the extreme that kind of appealed to me. Ooh. Uh, I was tr- I was trying to look up things related to like people who died for their art or and stuff like that, just because this, even though these players yeah. were able to come back from the dead, this was sort of like just it felt like such extremes that this game and this artistic expression thing, right. this the- theatrical thing went to. So I thought some of these were really kind of interesting. So one, there is, have you heard of the artist Orlan? Mm -mm. So at the age of 15, this French performance artist whose name was originally Muriel Suzanne Francette Porte took on the new name Orlan. And she had basically over 30 years of her career. She had a bunch of these different transformations. And her first reinvention, she underwent nine plastic surgeries on her face to resemble oh features of famous women in Western art history. What? So she like injected her brow to look like the Mona Lisa, Leonardo da Vinci's <gasps> Mona Lisa. She shaped her chin to <gasps> evoke uh, Venus. Uh, who's that? Uh, Botticelli. Botticelli, yep. And um, she altered her mouth to look like uh, Francois Boucher's The Rape of Europa. And she just, like, dressed in broke-inspired gowns, and she remained conscious through all of the operations. What? And she, like, filmed and... a lot of fillers. Yeah, she filmed and photographed all this stuff, usually with, like, music or poetry readings or something, and that was, like, her first her first big reinvention, and it was, like, over a five-year period of time called The Reincarnation of St. Orlin. That's very drastic. Isn't that crazy? And that's not even yeah. the craziest one. Did she eventually go back to her own appearance? You know, I didn't even read what she did over the next 25 years and afterwards. So. She had all the fillers removed. I know that wow. she went through multiple, they called it multiple fictional rebirths and like multiple oh transformations God. throughout her artistic career, but this is the first one. So I'm sure she did other things, but I don't know if they were plastic surgery related or what. That's amazing. And then this is, this is kind of, I think the one that brought me to this article. There was this artist, Chris Burden, who really kind of embrace this idea of dying for your art so i don't like where this is headed he pioneered this idea that like physical risk even to the point of a near-death experience is its own form of artistic expression so he did a bunch of extreme performances um in one of them in his 1971 performance of shoot he allowed himself to be shot by a, (gasps) a 22 caliber rifle at close range so there's an eight second video of this basically him standing motionless while a friend is 15 feet away, levels a rifle, and then shoots him in the shoulder. Mm -hmm. And then he also, in 1974, he had this performance called Transfixed, in which he crucified himself on a Volkswagen Beetle. Oh my god. And then in 1971, he has this piece called the Five Day Locker Piece, which involved him inside of a school locker for five days. So he just like took these like extreme physical risks as a form of artistic expression i guess this is reminding me of um vicious and vengeful by yeah the near-death like the near-death yeah. experiences so he's a super villain now <laughs> he's like victor vale um, <laughs> uh let's see what are some other ones there was so this performance artist marina abramovic she 
tried to take her audience and herself to physical and psychological extremes through her art. So she had this one exhibit um, called 512 Hours, and she would invite 160 visitors at a time to join her in an empty gallery. And if you were one of the audience members, you would turn in your phone, your watch, and any personal items, and they would give you noise-blocking headphones. Okay. And Abramovic would lead you through the gallery for eight hours a day, six days a week for 64 days. What? She basically would invite people to come in and they stay would just there. walk around. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't stay the whole time. Oh. She was oh. there the whole time. So, I mean, like people, 160 visitors at a time. So I don't know how long each individual participant gotcha. stayed, but over the course of the 64 days, there were 60,000 people who participated. Um, so they would like walk around slowly with these noise blocking earphones in this empty room and like look at the blank walls and like be encouraged to stand still. And so even though she basically did nothing, a lot of these people recorded experiences of like, um, either transcendence or alienation or sadness or elation. And some people would be like going to like fits of terror or uncontrollable sobbing. So people were just kind of like facing their own emotions i guess and stuff and and whatnot so that was kind of cool this one's just weird so there's there's this german artist who he did this performance called i like america and america likes me and he flew to new york's jfk airport and then he was wrapped and felt by his friends and transported in an ambulance to the renee block gallery okay and then Eight hours at a time over three days, he would share a room with the felt blanket, a pair of gloves, a walking stick, copies of the Wall Street Journal he had delivered daily, and guess what the last thing is? I hope it's food. (laughs) You're never going to get this. A live coyote. What? In in his room? (laughs) Yeah. So I guess throughout this three-day experiment, the coyote alternated between attacking the felt, urinating on the newspapers, and eventually, by the end of the three days, um, would accept a hug from Joseph Buies. That's not how you pronounce his name. I don't know how to pronounce it. The the artist. Why did he want to do this? And then, at the end of the three days, he was wrapped in felt once again and returned to the airport. (laughs) And basically, the point of the project was that he came to America and never touched American soil. What? I don't know. It's weird. So I mean, bizarre. I just don't get a lot of art stuff. I would have asked for food, not a coyote. I know. Right? What? And why a coyote of all things? Too? Yeah, exactly. Or at least a puppy if you're going to be in there with it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this one just kind of looks cool. You should Google it later. Um, there's this New York-based Chinese artist, Kai Guo Kuang, who did this it's a piece called Head On, and it has 99 lifelike wolves barreling towards, like, they're they're all, like, in a line. They're, like, jumping, leaping across the room, and then hitting a glass wall and oh, no. coming back down. And the point, it was just, it was kind of a cool reading about the metaphor behind it. So he was talking, the metaphor he's trying to demonstrate with this is... Like, sort of the dangers of pack mentality and mm. the, the impulse we sometimes have to push forward without, like, paying attention to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And So it was, like, a bunch of wolves that were leaping at a glass wall. Yeah. Like, they were just following each other yeah. and then hitting the glass wall. And they just kept, like, it was kind of this circular thing. But it also just looks really cool. Yeah. But I love wolves. So, you know, it's just kind of fascinating. But, yeah, he was reflecting on the East Germany's construction of the Berlin Wall. Hmm. That was his metaphor? The Ber- Wow. Yeah, I mean, but it was kind of, but this idea of like pack mentality. Yeah, and no, I get it. Not, like some of this other stuff, and I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. It is interesting. There are a few more, but those were kind of the most interesting ones of just real life people who took their art to some kind of extreme places. measures, extreme yeah. levels. I feel like it fits really well with this book, though, because like that's definitely w- what's happening right now. And like Legend, whoever he is, if we ever find out, um, he's definitely like so enmeshed in his own game that I wonder if he'll ever like be able to be human again I know well another thing I looked up a little bit before I got distracted by those cool art pieces was the idea of famous family feuds around business (laughs) because of Julian and his brother I love that and this one maybe you knew about this but I didn't know about this but there's these two brothers Adolf and Rudolf Dassler and um, in 1924 in Germany 
they founded a shoe company in their mother's laundry room. But I guess they had uh, really different kind of ideas of where this would go and personalities and all of this. And during World War II, one of the brothers was sent to the front. And after his return, he was picked up by U.S. soldiers and imprisoned for a year. And somehow he was convinced that his whole imprisonment was orchestrated by his other brother. Oh, whoa. So when he got out, they split up. And guess what the two companies they founded were? Gosh. Puma and Adidas. No. So these... Yeah, these two, so there's still this this town of Herzegonarok <laughs> or whatever, Germany, still has these rival factories across from each other, a Puma, the like original Puma factory and the original Adidas factory. And, and so they're still rivals to this day, Yeah, I mean, they, they died already. They died in the 70s, but they're buried at yeah. opposite ends of the same cemetery because they never no. made peace. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so funny. I mean, not funny that, you know, he got hurt by his and maybe it was by his brother but i i love the fact that they like never made up and started rival companies i also love the fact that these both became like pretty legit shoe companies to this day like it's not like one of them did really well and one of them like just got mad and like made a rival like like imagine what they could have done together but they're also those are pretty different brands i guess they did have different personalities and i okay so even though so the brothers passed away in the 70s but in 2009, as part of a Global Peace Day event, the feud did come to a symbolic end because they took people, mm-hmm. employees who worked at both of the factories, and they played football mm-hmm. in mixed teams. Aww. And that was like their symbolic way of making peace. But that was one of the funniest <laughs> oh, I stories I read there. But then I got distracted by the art. So I'm looking at this art picture of the wolves. Isn't it kind of cool? It's amazing. It's so cool how they captured it with the wool. There's like... Um, uh, there's at least like 50 wolves here and they're jumping in a perfect arc. 99 wolves. Mm-hmm. Whoa, 99 wolves. Okay. But the way they captured it, it's like there are some that are still on the ground. There are some that are like halfway leaping and then there's a bunch that are just like in the middle of the air. It's like really, it's beautiful and the different ways the wolves are moving and yeah, that one just really struck me. I feel bad that some of them are like hitting this wall, but they said that um, so much momentum is created that they can't, the wolves behind them can't stop their course even though they can see what's happening to the ones in front of mm-hmm. them. That's nuts. Oh, some of these poor wolves though. But it said, at least what I read, it said lifelike wolves. These aren't like, I mean, this is this is art. These aren't like wolves that were forced to do this or something. They're not real wolves. I don't believe so. Yeah. I really thought they were at first. <laughs> I know, I mean, they look really, really lifelike. Well, I thought... <laughs> I thought they were taking a picture of them of it happening, but oh. <laughs> that's what I saw. Them. I was like, "What the hell?" No, okay, they're fake. Well, they're fake. They're fake. <laughs> that would have been taking it to a different extreme of like animal cruelty. And, yeah, <laughs> I'm so glad we clarified that. <laughs> but it is a powerful piece. <laughs> it's very powerful. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, I really got taken in. I really fell for it there. <laughs> I got carried away. <laughs> They'll come back to life at the end of the weekend. <laughs> right, at the end of the exhibit. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I researched um, I researched tragic real-life love stories because I really liked the story of, um, I don't know, how there's like two tragic love stories in the middle of this book. It's one with Legend and Annalise and how... They were in love, and then she fell in love with another person and broke his heart, and then the whole story with Rosa. So I just researched tragic love stories. Isn't it kind of funny in stories like that? Like, if we like the main characters, it's like, the heartbreak is so sad, that poor character. And if we like, like, the person who left, or depending on how you hear the story, it's like, oh my goodness, dude, get over it. Or it's like, oh, it's so romantic. (laughs) Well, that's kind of, um... The stories that I found, too, are kind of like that, where some people might think they're romantic, but they're also very tragic and kind of horrific as well. So get ready for this. I've buckled up. Um, The first one is the story of Abelard and Heloise, which is one of the most tragic love stories in history. I don't know this. So um, Heloise was a... She lived during the 12th century in France, and she was the ward of a man. They call him her uncle. He was a cleric in the Church of Notre Dame, and his name was Fulbert. Okay. 
And so this woman, Eloise, she was a renowned scholar of her time. So she was, you know, an avid reader. She was an intellectual. And eventually she became the student of a man named Pierre Abelard, who was a very popular teacher and philosopher at the time. And he became her tutor. And he convinced Eloise's uncle to allow him to move into his house so he could tutor his niece. However, when he was there, they developed a very romantic relationship and had this torrid love affair, which ended with Eloise becoming pregnant. Oh no. Yeah. And it goes downhill from there very quickly. Uh Uh-oh. So Abelard moved Eloise away from her uncle and sent her to his own sister in another part of France. And she gave birth to a boy who she named Astrolab. Interesting. Which is the name of the navigational device. Hmm. And Abelard agreed to marry Eloise to appease her uncle, but he said there was one condition. He wanted the marriage to remain a secret, which sounds kind of shitty. Why? Yeah. Well, they say it was probably because he was taking orders, and it was at that time that the church was beginning to forbid priests to marry. And... So if he Mm. wanted to rise in the church, he wouldn't be able to have a public marriage. Okay. That doesn't make it that much better, but it makes it a little bit better than like, I'm ashamed of you or I want to meet other women or something. Mm -hmm. So Heloise agreed to this, but her uncle began to spread news of the marriage because his daughter's or his, his niece's reputation had suffered. So he was kind of spreading the news of what happened. And then Abelard had Heloise placed in a convent, not really sure why, but um, her uncle was basically like, listen, you're trying to get rid of her. Like, you married her in secret, now you put her in a convent. Like, it kind of looks like he was kind of making her live a life of a nun and hiding her out of the way to do who knows what. I mean, it sounds that way still, yeah. So, Fulbert's friends broke into Abelard's room And castrated him. Oh my goodness, that's extreme. Very extreme. Was there like a warning first? Like, I mean, not that that really makes it better, but... No, they just broke into his house. They just, it was like a mob of fool bear's friends broke into his house and did this to him. Which is terrible. Yes. So, after it happened, he was so ashamed that he became a monk in the Abbey of Saint-Denis in Paris. And... Eloise was still at the convent where she had been placed. And so they, these former lovers, ended up both sequestered in these separate convents and monasteries. And they began writing letters to each other, which is kind of interesting. So they found seven letters of correspondence between them. And it's just kind of interesting. Like, her letter was basically, you know, rebuking him for how, how silent he remained after everything went down. And, you know, she, she was still married to him, technically. Uh-huh. Um, and then he, like, encouraged her to look towards the church and said that he never really loved her. He only had lust for her. And their relationship was a sin against God, etc. Man, oh, man. I know. So they had these, like, letters to each other, but they don't seem very loving at all. She basically starts talking about how she hates marriage and um, how she prefers love to wedlock and freedom to a bond, which is actually kind of cool that she kind of has, like, a bit of a feminist streak running through her letters. Yep. And she actually goes as far as to define marriage as the ultimate form of prostitution. Hmm. Back then it kind of (laughs) was. Yeah, I mean, it was just a strange case of, like, these two people who had this, like, very real love for each other, and then it ended up going horribly wrong, and then they still corresponded until the day they died. It is interesting. And then this second one that I read about, um, okay, this is Inez de Castro in in King Pedro of Portugal. So, Inez de Castro was a lady-in-waiting for the Princess Constance of Castile in 1340, but Inez quickly fell in love with Prince Pedro. And when his wife Constance died, Pedro tried to make Inez his queen. Uh, They already actually had three children together. 
But his father decided that Inez was not an appropriate choice for his next queen. As royal fathers tend to do. And had her banished. But the two kept up a correspondence despite the distance and um, continued seeing each other. And so his father, the king, had sent two men to the monastery where she was living and killed her. That's sad. I know. Um, And when Peju heard of this, he found the killers, tracked them down, and executed them publicly, ripping out their hearts and claimed that they shouldn't have one because they destroyed his. Wow. And then he declared civil war against his father, and he won. And when he won, he had Inez's body exhumed, and he built her a royal tomb, and he made everyone in Portugal swear allegiance to her as their queen. I mean, that's all unfortunate the way it happened, but that's also a pretty powerful love. It's kind of a nice story on the one hand. Yeah, but just, like, what a what a crazy feud between, like, father and son. Like, at, what, at one point, you'd think someone would be like, okay, go ahead, you can marry her, you know? Like, he had her killed. Like, it's so sad that she had to be caught in the crossfire, you know? But families were different back then, political families especially. Yeah. It's just, like... <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but it's like the equivalent would be like if you wanted to marry a guy, your dad was like, no, we're not crazy about him. And instead of just being like, go back on Tinder, they sent men to his house to kill him. I know. That's crazy. Like, that's insane. And they got away with it. Like, he got away with it because he was king. And again, it was the mother to three of his grandchildren. Yes. It's not like just some bad news bear that he met online. Right. (laughs) Which you also shouldn't kill. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Totally wrong no matter what. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I thought that was like two interesting cases of love stories that were very tragic. And Rosa and Annalise's story inspired it. Wow. So we need to end on a happier note, basically. Um, oh, I do have a joke. But do we want to introduce the new book first or do you want to? Do we just need a happy joke? Let's do a happy joke. Okay. Why doesn't your mom ask her brother for help? Why doesn't your mom ask her brother for help? Yeah. Because he knows nothing, Jon Snow? I don't know. Because you can't be a brother and assist her, too. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's kind of stupid. This is from, I, I should just make you, like, pick a number and open up to a random page in this book. Oh, yeah, your dad joke book. I forgot about that. Okay, 23. Actually, there's not page numbers on this book. (laughs) (laughs) All right, four. That way you can count. (laughs) Do you want a box for your leftovers? Yes. No, but I'll wrestle you for them. (laughs) That took me a while to get. That took me a minute. (laughs) I didn't really read it before I read it out loud, so I probably said it up poorly, but... That's totally something like a dad would say at a restaurant. That is a dad joke. Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> also, I need to send you some of these pictures because there's, I think I've told you this before, there's just sketches in here. It's like um, people <laughs> talking to each other. Like, it's just heads and mm-hmm. stuff. But this one's got some guy, like a, a waiter holding a tray, but it, he's giving a look that's very funny too. I'll send you a picture later. The kids are just funny looking. They're just so embarrassed for their father. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, now let's introduce the second book of Caraval, who it looks beautiful, called Legendary. I forget, is it your turn to read the cover? I think it's yours. Okay. A heart to protect, a debt to repay, a game to win. After being swept up in the magical world of Caraval, Donatella Dragna has finally escaped her father and saved her sister Scarlet from a disastrous arranged marriage. The girls should be celebrating, but Tella isn't yet free. She made a desperate bargain with a mysterious criminal, and what Tella owes him, no one has ever been able to deliver. Caraval Master Legend's true name. The only chance of uncovering Legend's identity is to win Caraval, so Tella throws herself into the legendary competition once more, and into the path of the murderous heir to the throne, a doomed love story, and a web of secrets, including her sisters. Oh, man. Caraval has always demanded bravery, cunning, and sacrifice, but now the game is asking for more. If Tella can't fulfill her bargain and deliver Legend's name, she'll lose everything she cares about, maybe even her life. But if she wins, Legend and Caraval will be destroyed forever. 
Interesting. Do we want that to happen, though? I don't know. That's what I was going to have. So who is this mysterious criminal? Is it not legend or is it legend? I thought it was legend. And if it's not. If it's not legend, who is that kind of makes sense that he needs his name. If it is legend, it doesn't make sense that he wants his name. Unless it's like... And a, his true name will lead him to discovering his identity so then he can capture him and kill him. Right? That's what I would think. Okay. And then part of me is like, Tella, just ask your sister to ask her boyfriend what his brother's name is. Oh my but gosh. if it's going to yes. kill him, then obviously not. Ooh, and that'll put Julian between the two of them, because, like... Oh, man. Or, slash, we don't even know. Tella might just keep not telling her sister what she's really up to. That's true. That's true. It's all about secrets and mystery. And I'm curious to see more... Who's the ruler? What did it say? Or the heir to the throne, or whatever. What throne? Is it a real throne, or is it, like, the Caraval throne? Good question. Because there was an empress, I guess, before. Isn't that the rumor about how legend got started? He was, like, performing for the empress? Oh, very true. Very true. We haven't really heard anything about mm. them. And we also, mm. did, there's nothing about their mother in that one. So that's interesting in that synopsis. Unless she's part of the love story. Maybe she knows legend's name. Maybe she's the criminal who wants legend's name. Oh, boy. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Maybe we should just start reading. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do that. If you want to get in touch with us, you can... Email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com or follow us and message us on Instagram or Facebook at mnktalkya. Tell us if you have a family rivalry or a tragic love story. Yes, but hopefully it's not too tragic and we'll hope for a happy ending. Yeah, or if you have any theories on who Legend really is, if you know his true name. Oh, can we just guess crazy names for him? Um, Clarence. Um, Bob. That's not crazy. <laughs> I know, but it's kind of crazy because it's so not so crazy. Simple. <laughs> That'd be a real um, letdown for me. <laughs> yeah, if it's just like a common name. Wait, what was the name of the the Forbidden Love Story child name? Astrolab? <laughs> yeah, that's my guess. Astrolab. <laughs> or Thermometer. Those are my two guesses. <laughs> oh, I really hope it's one of them. <laughs> we'll find out. All right. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. <laughs> M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.